Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. You can reach me via email at drvforkids at yahoo.com or through my website, peaceofheartllc.com. I welcome any questions or comments you may have, and if there is a topic you're interested in hearing more about, please let me know. My show intends to expand you, the listeners, and your awareness, and I hope to educate you on different modalities of treatment that might be available. Each week, I try to bring guests to my show that might make you look at life, yours and those around you, in a different way, and perhaps open you up to new possibilities. When we don't feel well, either physically or emotionally, there are many places we can turn to for relief. In Western medicine and thought, there are numerous modalities, as there are in Eastern medicine. And today, I bring you a conversation with Dr. Karen Young about acupuncture and oriental medicine. Dr. Young is a board-certified acupuncture physician working in the medical field for over 34 years. She specializes in computerized EAV electrodermal scanning and is an experienced clinical consultant to physicians of all types utilizing energetic medicine, clinical nutrition, herbal, and homeopathic remedies. Dr. Young is a postgraduate education instructor for the Integrated and Complementary Medicine Division at the Miller School of Medicine at the University of Miami and the Texas Chiropractic College. She obtained her degree in acupuncture and oriental medicine from the East-West College of Natural Medicine and her occupational therapy degree from the University of Florida. Dr. Young maintains a thriving private practice, which she calls the Integrated Path in Sarasota, Florida, which is also where I live and work. Welcome to Perspectives, Dr. Young. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. Well, I'm really excited for our conversation today. Um, I would like to really start at the beginning so that we can have a clear understanding um, about acupuncture and oriental medicine. So let's start literally with what exactly is acupuncture? As a doctor of oriental medicine, acupuncture is actually a treatment technique that we can utilize. It's over 3,000 years old, and we use tiny filiform needles, which are like thread-like, and we use those to help shift the change in energy, what we call chi. So chi is, is that just the Chinese name? For the energy in the body? Yeah, basically, energy is just how the energy flows in the body. We don't really have words for that in Western medicine. Okay, that makes sense. And the needles you use, um, you know, you often hear people talk about being afraid of acupuncture if they're not familiar with it, because the thought of having needles put into their body in various places. I don't even know all the places you might put needles. Um, People seem afraid of it. So I often get the question when I mention acupuncture to somebody is, does it hurt? Well, like I was saying, the needles that we use are filiform, which means they're solid. So there is not, it's not the same needle that is used in Western medicine when they're giving medicine. So it is felt totally different. So really there isn't any pain in it. If somebody feels pain, it might be a slight mosquito bite, but it really isn't any type of a painful situation. They possibly could feel pain if there's a shift in the energy that's happening in the body, but because we're not taught what energy is, we label it as pain. Okay, that, that's actually an interesting concept. Um, that, so are you saying that when the energy moves in the West, we think our bodies or our minds think of it as pain? Is that what you mean? Yes, exactly. We label it pain because we haven't been taught how to feel energy and what does energy feel like. So one of the easiest examples that we could address would be like when you go to get a massage 
and they might hit a space that feels very, very tender, and we don't want them to touch that. And we might have another spot where they're pushing on it and it hurts, but we want them to push even deeper. So the first example that I was saying is actually what we call excess chi. And the second example where we want them to push further and deeper in is called deficient chi. So we just label everything pain. Okay, so actually in Chinese medicine, it sounds like they have much more specific examples and they're able to differentiate our experiences much more narrowly than, than we can in the West. Is that? Yes, I would say so. Um, how the chi or the energy is flowing lets us know what's going on in the body. So it's very important to know what's happening and to be aware of that, not just pain. So it's important for you then as a practitioner, would it be important to know whether the, uh, if someone was feeling pain, if it was the kind where you don't want it to be pushed further versus the kind where you wouldn't mind, even though it was still, there was the patient was still thinking of it as pain. It, well, what happens is that um, we have these energy pathways in the body called meridians. And those meridians then also connect to organs. So we're wanting to pay attention to how that energy is flowing in the meridians as well as to the organs. I like to describe the meridians like PVC pipes. And they're energy pathways in the body that you then can access into using the acupuncture needle points. The energy in the meridian may be too slow or sluggish, clogged, or it could be too, running too fast. So we would then utilize the information of what we have found and then be able to move the chi in the meridians by either decreasing that energy and slowing it down, like the excess chi that we were talking about, or if it was deficient chi, we would add to it, nourish or support that energy. So, how, so putting the needle in at a specific point um, how do you know whether you are trying to slow down the energy or you're trying to um, unclog it and speed it up? It's based on what the client is telling us as far as their symptoms are concerned. We also do um, pulse diagnosis. So we put our fingers on their pulse and we can, the pulses in Western medicine are beats per minute. What we see the pulses as organs. So underneath each of our fingers, when we put our first three fingers on their pulse by their wrist, we can actually feel how each of the different organs, how the energy is flowing through them. We wow. also, so how many different pulses are there? Um, well, there's base six, technically. Wow. And I mean, we can get much more defined from that, but those are the basic ones. And is it really apparent, the difference between the pulses? Yes. And is it, um, is it how they feel? I mean, how, how, do you, how do you learn that? that? It seems very difficult to learn. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. There is so many different qualities to the pulse. Um, the speed of it, the rate of the speed, the quality of it, if it's too much, if it's too slow, but it, and then where it's located can give us so much information. There's a lot of um, very, very astute physicians that can absolutely diagnose everything just through pulses and tell you past surgeries you've had, um, many, many different types of history that you've, what has gone in your body. So if I think about it, if I were to to, if I were to go to my internist, for example, and they, they take my pulse, they put their fingers on my wrist and they come up with a, as you said, beats per minute. Um, if somebody, if I were to come to you and you were to put, how would you put your hands differently on my wrist to assess the different pulses? Um, uh, if you look at your wrist, there is... Um one of the veins that's just below the thumb. It's kind of hard to describe on a radio show. <laughs> well, you're doing just fine, so keep going. <laughs> you have your wrist and the crease that's at the base of your wrist. 
on the side of your thumb, on the underside of your arm. You can feel the pulses right there. A lot of times people will take their, their beats per minute, you know, their pulse rate right there. So I would put my first, my index, middle, and ring finger along that vein, and then I would feel the quality of that vein, both on the right hand as well as on the left hand. And then that would, I would then feel, you, you had talked about how difficult it is to get to understand that. It's true, because you really have to have a, a sixth sense, if you want to call it, and uh -huh. really getting into the feeling and the quality of the movement of what's happening there. And is it different from the right hand to the left hand? Yes, it can be. Yep, because there's different organs that you're looking at. So, for example, what would the pulses on your right hand tell you? That would, Which organs would those be versus the ones on your left hand then? Um, depending on which hand you're working with, you're looking at your heart, your lungs, the liver, kidney is on both sides, your spleen. So we want to look at those significant organs and how the energy is flowing within them. Okay, that's that's really fascinating because it's um it's it's interesting to me that this this type of medicine has been practiced literally for centuries. And in the West now we have it all blended together into one pulse and the Western medicine doctors are usually looking at the pulse just to check on your heart. Is that correct? I mean, I don't think I get a sense that when we go to a doctor in, in the West, that when they check our pulse, they're not able to tell us anything about any other organs in our body. Yes, I'd say you're absolutely correct in that. It is it was when I went in with my occupational therapy degree established and well established and then went to go back for my um, doctor of oriental medicine degree. It took a lot for my brain to switch from thinking from Western to Eastern. And so there was a huge learning curve there. So sure, when Western medicine is feeling your pulses, they really are just looking at the heart. But in Eastern medicine, we're looking at all of the organs or feeling, I should better say, all of the organs. Yeah, that, that actually, that, that sounds like a great description to say feeling as opposed to just looking. But what you just said makes me think of another question that's slightly unrelated to this. But why did you choose to go from occupational therapy and why did you choose to go back to study oriental medicine? Um. Well, I knew that I wanted to go into occupational therapy from the get-go when I was in eighth grade. I knew that because I knew I just wanted to be there and help people. So I just drove on, just went through high school, went through college, and obtained that degree. Working in that field for quite many years, it felt like too little, too late. So I would end up seeing, as an occupational therapist, I'd end up seeing the patient after they've had their stroke, after they've had their heart attack and have to try to help them rehab, be able to take care of themselves again after they've had this illness. In my brain, that was too little, too late. So I'm like, what is it that I can do to assist someone and go back and help them before those things happen? So I went and studied all the different practice degrees as far as what you are able to do within each profession. Uh -huh. and realize that within oriental medicine, I can practice so many different areas and support the person to be more preventative and help them in that regard so that I can go in there and be at the front. I can help them try to stay out of that heart attack or stay out of that stroke, not just the repercussions afterwards. That's great. I think um, that's a lot of what I do in my practice also is um, while I help people who come with mental issues, mental illness issues, I try and teach them techniques so that they can prevent situations in the future and so that they're more comfortable um, living their life and they can live a healthier life. So I think that's great. How long is, was the course to study Oriental Medicine? Um, gosh, I've got to think back. It's either four or five years. I'm not sure what the current going is. So I know mine was a four-year program. 
And did you have a chance to practice and do an internship like they do in Western medicine? Yes, we have clinicals all the time. Even while we're in school, we're doing clinicals. So a lot of times you might see an acupuncture school offer clinical treatments. And Uh so um, people can come in and get treatments through the school, have acupuncture done with um, the instructors right there so that the students can start practicing right at the beginning. So you can have practicals while you're in school. And then also, if you wanted to go out and do internships, you can do that as well. Yes. Well, it sounds like you would need a lot of practice to get all those needles in and in the right places. Um, We're going to go to a commercial break, so please stay tuned. We're talking about acupuncture and oriental medicine with Dr. Karen Young. If you have questions, you can email me, Dr. Vidisha Patel at drvforkids at yahoo.com. We will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm in conversation with Dr. Karen Young, board-certified acupuncture physician. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about shifting the energy um, with the acupuncture needles, and also we were talking about your shift from occupational therapy to oriental medicine and your desire to help people not just when they have a problem, but maybe as a preventive measure also. So I guess I was under the impression that acupuncture worked mostly on pain issues. And I'm guessing that that's probably not true then. (laughs) Um, No, it's not actually. Um, It works absolutely wonderful on pain issues such as low back pain or sciatica pain. Mm -hmm. I work with clients all the time with that. We can get them relieved from their pain, also teach them proper body mechanics, which is huge. But pain is just one aspect of what we can work with people as far as um, oriental medicine is concerned. If you really want to look at it, we, as a doctor of oriental medicine, we pretty much address the same ailments that you go to for Western medicine. I will definitely say one thing within this. 
is I never tell them to stop seeing their Western physician. I think it's very complimentary to have the two working together because you two together is more beneficial than just one by itself. So I just want to make sure that that is said. Um, but Eastern and Western medicine are very complementary in that way. And we do work on the same areas. The thing that we look at in um, Oriental medicine is that we're looking at the flow of energy to these organs. So if the flow is off, then it will start to manifest in the physical body. Okay. So the energy, the flow of energy, the chi, has to be off first before it starts to manifest. Okay. So if we can start picking up the energy that is off in the organs through their pulses, their tongue diagnosis, as well as the client's actual symptoms, then we can go into that preventative mode. So even though we're looking at the preventative if they've already manifested physical symptoms and have a so-called diagnosis given to them, we can still work with them and start helping reverse that and getting that energy flowing back properly again so that those ailments can be decreased and the patient can actually start feeling better as well. So um, talk a little bit about the tongue. We talked about how you use the pulses and the wrist to diagnose. Uh, so what role does the tongue play in all of this? It's just another diagnostic tool. Um, so we use the pulses, we use the tongue as both as diagnostic techniques. So the tongue is laid out like a map. And okay. so we actually look at the tongue. This is the one time where I say to my clients, okay, you get to stick out your tongue and it's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> and so I look to see what the color is what the shape is, if there is what we call a coat on it or that fur that is on there, what color the fur is, what the sides look like. There's all kinds of information in the tongue, just like there were in the pulses. So we use all of that for diagnosing. That's incredible. So when you said it's like a map, are there areas of the tongue that are associated with different organs? Yes, definitely. And you can usually tell people can start looking at their tongues and they'll be able to look in the mirror, look at their tongue. First of all, they definitely need to be brushing their tongue because we have so much bacteria in our mouths. So definitely brush your tongue. But um, if you look at your tongue, if the very tip of the tongue is red and the rest of the tongue isn't, you can pretty much tell that you're under stress. Okay. <laughs> that might be a lot of people listening to this show. <laughs> If there is a coating on the tongue, or what we call the fur, if that is thick and white, we know that you're not digesting your foods very well, and we would need to address that. Those are just examples. Interesting. So um, pain issues, for example, migraines. Can you use acupuncture for migraines? Yes, because migraines basically are an incorrect flow of energy. It's that excess energy that we were talking about. They're, actually, your migraines could be either excess or deficient, so I would have to figure that out on the person. So even though it's, it's kind of I'm going to skip a little bit over to like a cold. In Western yeah. medicine, you're just, it's just labeled a cold. Oh, you have a cold. But you don't have just a cold in Eastern medicine. You have a cold cold, you have a heat cold, you have a damp cold, you have a damp heat cold. And we work with the person differently as far as the needle placement on each of those, as well as herbs and supplements that we would give them based on the, which diagnosis. So going back to the migraine, it could be excess or deficient. And so we would work with the needles and get that energy flowing to help open up and getting everything moving properly and decrease the migraine. And how quickly does it, um, would a, a patient feel relief from, say, a migraine, for example? Totally independent of the person. If it is someone that typically doesn't pay attention to their body and are just kind of running around doing the rat race, they may have great results. They may not have as, the results may not be as good as compared to somebody that's already paying attention to their body and taking in good nutrition, et cetera. 
but each person is so individual. I cannot, you know, state, okay, this will be gone in two minutes or this will be gone in two days. Each person is individual. Okay. And also in, in line with that, um, is this a kind of treatment and we can stick with migraines for now because I'm assuming that treatment is different for whatever the ailment is. Um, but for a migraine, for example, would it require multiple visits or is it a kind of one-time visit type of thing for acupuncture for migraines? Yeah, I can't even say. (laughs) Each person is so individual. Somebody might get a relief right there in the treatments. It's it's so hard to say. I, I really can't say. It'll be, oh, it only takes two treatments or it only takes three treatments. I, I won't say that to anybody about any discomfort that they're having because okay. I really don't want them to be misleading or feel left down because acupuncture really isn't so much about what I do to the body. Uh-huh. It's more about placing the needles that assist the body and then the body takes that energy and starts shifting everything. Okay, so then you, as the doctor of oriental medicine, are more of a conduit in making this process move along. Yes. And yes. so that makes a lot of sense. So then each each person's road to recovery is going to be different. Um, and with that, does their emotional state impact their recovery as well? Definitely. I can pretty much guarantee you if somebody walks in saying that one, they don't believe in acupuncture or they don't think that acupuncture will work, I really actually truly believe they could override the benefits of the acupuncture because I've I've seen it happen. Then you could have another person that comes in and says like, I I had one person come in and said, you are my absolutely last resort. I have done absolutely everything for what's going on with me. And you're it. You've got to get it fixed. I'm like, oh, okay. Pressure. (laughs) But guess what? We are actually shifting it. It is a much, much deeper involved situation for this person. So it is definitely taking more time to fix it, but right. she's actually receiving, receiving results and seeing it. Wow, that's a lot of pressure. So for this particular patient, they've gone to a, through the Western medicine process already. What else have they tried that they have come to you saying you're the last resort? <laughs> absolutely everything i mean like they've been to even um some of the very high established hospitals to try and figure out what was going on and they were basically saying that they've given her lots of different types of medications which is appropriate like i said i believe that eastern and western medicine should be very complementary she mm-hmm. still sees her doctors you know her western mds But um, one of the biggest clues for her is that we found out that she was significantly B12 deficient. She actually had pernicious anemia. And what what is pernicious anemia? Where they are just not able to utilize B12. Okay. It's, it's, It's actually much, much more significant than what most people realize. And it doesn't seem like it sounds like that big of a deal, but it is actually very significant. And the majority of people actually are B12 deficient. And then I'll add in a little cue in reference to that. Pretty much, I can't give a percentage, but a very extreme high percentage of vegetarians are B12 deficient because they're not getting the resources from the sources. They're not eating the sources of what you would get the B12 from. Right. Right. Well, that makes sense. I, I know in India, there, many of us have been told that we're B12 deficient, and um, that's a common starting point for treating somebody who's not well. Um, so that actually brings up another point. You talked about a lot of people ha- having pernicious anemia or being B12 deficient. Are there other things that you commonly see 
across your patients? Are there common um, deficiencies or ailments that people come to you for? Um, some of the very easiest ones to see that are just usually not addressed in Western medicine because it's, it's almost, I, I can't state that this is the way it's seen, but it feels like it to me, that it's like those things aren't important, but right. they end up being significantly important, such as B12, vitamin D. When I read people's lab works, their vitamin Ds are always very low until we get them back up to snuff, even though we live in a very... Um, the sun is significant in Florida, they're still low in B12, or low in B12, but also um, what I'm speaking about is vitamin D. And so we need to make sure that they're vitamin D. Some of the other issues are sugar handling. Most people are getting too much sugar into their system and their digestive systems are off. They're not regulating the foods and the body is not being able to handle the foods properly. So if you're not digesting your foods properly, then you're not getting the nutrients. If you're not getting the nutrients, your body isn't being fed properly. Right. Well, the, the vitamin D, it's interesting because yes, in certainly in Florida, it, we live obviously in a very sunny place, but I think we're almost afraid of being out in the sun because there's so much of it. So I wonder if that's one of the reasons why there are vitamin D deficiencies. And I would actually be curious to know if in other parts of the country, um, people also have significant vitamin D deficiencies. Um, you mentioned reading lab results. And I know that when you read lab results, you read them differently from the way somebody in Western medicine might read them. Is that, did I understand that correctly? Yes. Let me just add one more comment about the um, vitamin D. Sure. We're not even realizing how they're putting sunscreens in all of our lotions. And so somebody might think that they're not putting sunscreen on, but it's in so many um, skin products that they're actually blocking out the sun. And so when you're blocking out the sun too much, it's the sun and the skin that's synthesized together that creates the vitamin D. And so they don't even realize that they're not getting vitamin D. So I think it is not just the South, but I think it's everywhere. So that's just makes a sense. That makes and, sense. It, they have it in makeup as well. So yeah, yeah <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Which is kind of scary. <laughs> Um, as far as the blood work is concerned, I would, would call it a holistic blood analysis. So people will go in and I can either um, write up the prescription to get the blood drawn and have the lab results, or they can go to their Western physician. I always encourage them to go to their Western physician. I give them a list of which tests I want, but send them out to their Western physician so that they can get paid for through insurance. Hey, why not? Right. <laughs> um, but if not, if there's certain labs that they won't run, I can run those. That's not a problem, which is absolutely beautiful. But I will take those lab results and look at it and analyze it differently than what Western medicine will do. I've had plenty of people come in and said, my doctor said I'm just fine here. Tell me what's happening. So what I'm doing is I'm looking for what's called what I call optimal range. Okay. There's a reference range on each lab test. And they want you to be within that reference range. So even though you may be in that reference range, you still may not be feeling well because you might be on one end or the other end. And uh -huh. so they won't address it because you're in range. And it could be because insurance won't address it because it says, like, you can't do any more testing. It's, there's no reason to. It's fine. My ranges might actually be smaller or larger, or they could be shifted up or down. So if I have everybody within my optimal ranges, they're actually feeling pretty good. Okay. So I'm going to stop you right there. I want to go back to this, but we're going to head to a short commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be right back to talk some more about understanding acupuncture and Eastern medicine. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number 4, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please get in touch via email at drvforkids at yahoo.com or go to my website at peaceofheartllc.com. I'd love to hear if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guest. I'm here with Dr. Karen Young, and we are trying to demystify acupuncture and oriental medicine. So before the break, we were talking about lab work and how when you look at lab work, it's very different than how a, uh, a physician who practices Western medicine might look at lab work. And one of the questions I have for you is, if you have a patient in your office that is being seen by somebody who practices Western medicine and they are on a variety of medications... How does your interpretation of the lab work and your treatment planning, how does that impact the medications they might already be on? Um, That is extremely individual for each person because of what diagnosis they have as well as what medications they're on. It also depends on what the person is interested in doing. If they're on a high blood pressure medication, I cannot take them off of that. I cannot even discuss their medication with them. That is like a no-no for me. I just have to know what they are taking and then also know what they're interested in doing. If they come to me and they say, I want to get off my blood pressure medication, I'll say, well, first of all, I cannot take you off of that. Okay. We can start working in other areas that could help you, i.e. through the acupuncture and nutrition and everything, get you to a place where you might be able to start working with your Western physician and letting them know that you would like to try and decrease it because you're now doing stress management techniques and you're eating more properly. And so you would like to try and do that. And so we would want to coordinate it with their Western MD. There might be other cases where there is, based on their diagnosis, there's absolutely nothing that can be done as far as getting them off of their medication because they just have to be on it, just period. But we can do other things to help all the other areas to support them while they are taking that medication. Okay. Are there any particular diseases that you would say absolutely you are not able to help with through oriental medicine or... 
No, not at all. Um, basically, every diagnosis there is, like I was saying at the top of the show, is we treat the, the same areas. We have a different technique. So there might be, like, let's take cancer, for example. Do I treat cancer directly? No. That's where you need to be working with your Western physician and deciding what treatment protocol you want to go through. But at the same time, the complementary to that is working with them with acupuncture and their nutrition and their stress management while they go through their cancer treatments. Okay. That makes Does sense. That make sense. It's kind yes. of like it's not directly addressed as far as I'm treating cancer. No but I'm treating all other aspects of the body while they're dealing with the cancer. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, earlier when we were talking about pulses and the tongue and the way the tongue looked, you mentioned the word stress. And stress is obviously something that most everybody feels at some point or another. And um, it has a huge impact on our, on our bodies. And that's, and that's my opinion. How do you feel about stress and how it affects the body? Well, I actually think that stress and emotions are just as significant as any other treatment technique that I utilize. Um, our genes are set. But what happens is what causes the body to turn on gene activation? So you might have within your DNA a gene that says you're going to have cardiac issues, but you don't have any cardiac issues at this point in time. Well, what can turn on those, that DNA to turn on the cardiac issues? This is called epigenetics. It's really quite a fascinating field to even start delving into. We won't go there right now, but stress is the key that could turn on the gene that says you now start having cardiac issues. Okay. So what I want to help them with is start figuring out ways of how to handle their stress and their emotions to help keep all of that DNA right and set, but not turned on. Okay. So that makes lots of sense to me because I work uh, with clients all the time about stress and managing their stress and trying to prevent their stress. I look at it more from their the behavioral emotional perspective, how do you address it with your patients? Um, I, my thought is stress and emotions are the basis of all disease. Dis-ease is disease. So we want to try and keep their level down as much as possible. We are so taught, especially here in the West, to keep a stiff upper lip. Put your big girl panties on or <laughs> cry right so we're taught just to stuff it so I kind of look at it like the analogy of a junk drawer we, we all have junk drawers right. so we take our junk we, we throw it in there and we shove the, the drawer closed well eventually that drawer gets so stuffed that it starts falling out well that's what happens with our body our body ends up being the junk drawer we stuff our emotions we stuff of all of our stress we keep on stuffing it in and in it creates a disease. And then once that happens, we've got to figure out how to start eliminating the stress factors there. So, so how do you even start to, to unpack that in your office? <laughs> <laughs> One step at a time. <laughs> and, is it, and does acupuncture help for this? Or is it conversations? Or is it supplements? Or a combination? It's a combination of all of it. There are definitely acupuncture points that help decrease stress, for sure. And then we also have, I have a conversation with people and help them to gain a different perspective about what's happening for them and their stressful situation. Most people, we get into patterns, and once we're in that pattern, we just can't see outside of that. So um, I just love the way I'm able to help a person start shifting their perspective from their set pattern and start seeing it in a different viewpoint. And so then when we start doing that, I ask them to, the question I ask them is, how much control do you have? <laughs> because everybody likes to think that they have control. 
Right. And their ego wants to have control as well, which we totally get that. <laughs> so then I asked them, how much control do you have? And I used the example of the clothing that you're wearing today. I'll say, did you control what you wore today? And I'll say, well, of course, yes, I did. And I said, well, no, you just picked what you're wearing today. You did not control it. So in controlling it, what's, you would have to have planted the cotton, picked the cotton, strung the cotton, dyed the cotton by natural dyes, made your own wood needle, made a pattern, <laughs> not from the calls. If you did all of that, then I'd say, okay, yes, you controlled it. You did. <laughs> but we're not doing that. So everybody thinks that they have control. So I help them to have this perspective about, well, what control do you actually have? The only control you really, really, really have is how you respond in life. All day long, you are in response to every situation that's happening. It boils down to only two ways that you can respond. You will either respond in reaction, which we all know that, right. all anger, everything, or you respond in action. So in reaction, it all boils down to fear. Even sadness, anger, when you go deeper within it, you realize it is really just fear-based. The other is action, and that emotion is love. So all day long, a person can start watching what they're doing and how they're responding in every situation and seeing whether or not they're in reaction or action. And there are no, there are no other choices. It's, it's, it's one or the other. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> because fear is fear. Right. Fear can't happen at the same time love is happening. That makes sense. So makes sense. It, is, it is a choice all day long. Whether that somebody tries to pull in front of you and um, reckless driving and you can have a reaction and that could be fear. Well, what's the fear? Well, you're angry that they cut you off. You're fear that you might've been in a car wreck. You could be fear that you're not going to get to your scheduled meeting on time. Those are all fear-based. A love-based response in that situation could be like, wow, I wonder what's going on in their life that they're in such a hurry and so then it has a direct different effect on your body than going into the anger and the fear. Ah, okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense because I, again, I see the same thing and I, and I also talk a lot about control and I talk about it as taking charge of your emotions and choosing how you want to feel in a given situation. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are more words I might use, more adjectives I might use, but they would boil down to, into the two categories of action and reaction. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. So now, and I agree also that it does have implications on, on your body and physiologically on you. Um, we have a couple of minutes left and I would like to touch a little bit on diet. And if you work with people on their diet and shifting their diet and how you do that, as well. Um, that's a much bigger subject than just a couple minutes, but we can definitely go there. We can get started and we'll save the rest for another show. <laughs> um, yes, I definitely work with people on their diets and their eating habits because that's significantly important for them. Um, I will go in and work with people to find out what they think they are eating and what they think is healthy because one person's Food for them is healthy and another person it wouldn't be. So it has to be addressed individually. Um, a lot of times the supplements that I will use are organ-based. It used to be in the old days we used to have liver on the table twice a month. We don't do that anymore. It's just <laughs> heard of. But that was actually the proper thing to do is to eat liver because we eat the liver. It goes and feeds the body and it goes straight to the liver and helps keep the liver strong which is very important for us. We don't do that anymore. So I try and find supplements based on the person to help either give them some of that support through the supplements or herbs so that they can build stronger organs or specific nutrients that they need. 
Well, and what do you do with your vegetarian patients? Because um, that is obviously not an option. <laughs> um, the- right. So there's still um, herbs and nutrition that can be provided to um, a vegetarian because I have several vegetarians. And I just base their protocol on what is specific for that person and desires. So I guess what I'm hearing you say really is that the work you do is very individualized because each person is unique. And not only is their body makeup unique, but their responses to their environment are unique. So their actions, reactions, and the emotional piece is unique. Um, and then how they respond to various treatments must also be. And so there's really, there's no standard protocol that you can use. Is it, is, is that right? Am I understanding that correctly? Um, I would say definitely there's no standard protocol. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. That makes me think about when I first started practice, I would review all of my cases before they came in, have an idea what I would be doing with them. So I'd know how to implement that. Now today, I like just know who's coming in today and that's it. I have no plans because they walk in the door and it might be something completely different than what I thought we were going to do. So <laughs> each person is very individual and it's all specific to them. And what they need in that day. We may even have planned with that person what the next treatment was going to be. They walk through the door. I'm like, yeah, that's not happening today. We need to do this instead. (laughs) So it sounds like you have to be incredibly flexible. And with that, I want to say thank you for joining me on the show today. I would love it if you could tell all the listeners how they might get a hold of you. Um, in case they want to have a consultation with you or if they have questions for you. Um, and I'll let you let you tell them that information. Okay. Um, I do have a website. It's called theintegratedpath.com. You can get me there, see the website there. And then also the telephone number at the office is 941-924-8833. Wonderful. And that's for Dr. Karen Young. And I want to thank all my listeners for being on the show with us today. This is Dr. Vidisha Patel, your host for Perspectives. I look forward to being back with you next week for another edition of my show. Feel free to email me at drv4kids at yahoo.com or go through my website at peaceofheartllc.com and send me any questions or comments. Have a wonderful week. Until next time. Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.